Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Well, it's been just a fire hose of bad news here in recent years. So we're, we're happy to be talking about Good things, fun things, the final four. Maybe this pandemic is beginning to wind down, although I, boy, there's some days I scratch my head. Could we really be that lucky? No more variants? I hope so. But thankfully, Laura Oaks always had good news, and she has that every Sunday morning. 6.30, there's a podcast called Laura's Good News that you can get wherever you consume your podcasts, and Laura joins us right now. Greetings. Happy Friday, Hello. Laura. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the beautiful weather this afternoon. Thank you for thanking me. I <laughs> normally yeah. get blamed, but uh, I know. I appreciate that. What do, what are you working on this uh, this weekend? Yeah. Well, my podcast is up, so it's available to listen to now. Right this now. week's podcast. Yep. Okay. And on Laura's Good News this week, we talk with or I talk with one of our very own Shaletta Brundage. Everybody knows her, everybody loves her, and we know uh, it's been widely reported this past week about the big award she won from USA Today. Yeah. She got Woman of the Year for Minnesota from USA Today. Whoa. So that's a biggie. I mean, she has won countless awards for her advocacy work and her her work in the community, but this is a biggie. So I wanted to talk to her about that, as some of us have over the past week. And and we have a, a pretty fun discussion that veers into parenthood. And some of the challenges with children, that's pretty funny. So um, we had a great chat. And, you know, Shaletta's amazing. She has, for those who don't know, three, three of her four kids were born with autism. Right. Now, two of those kids have tested, so they are off the spectrum. But still, she has had many, many years of, of learning to raise children with autism and all of those special time-consuming things that need to be done to make sure they're thriving. And it's amazing what she has done. And she she not only helps other parents going through with who have children with autism and are going through some of these challenges, but it, it's just endless. Like she's kind of I call her the Energizer Bunny because she never stops, yeah. never rests. And if she's not helping families with autism, she's doing a food drive. She's making sure families have carbon monoxide detectors. She is. Um, Working on a podcast to help other parents of kids with autism, it's it's amazing. I don't know when the girl sleeps. It's I don't crazy. I don't either. And what I love about Shaletta, she she says what she thinks. Oh there, yes. There's not much of a filter there. Uh-uh. And I find that authenticity 
refreshing. Yes. You know, not not kissing up, not telling people what they want to hear, yeah. telling people what they need to hear. Right. And right. I, I like it too when people say she'll let us stay in your lane. And <laughs> I don't think she knows no. how to stay in her lane. No. And that's okay. That's part of her. It's yeah. part of her. Yeah. Um, also, I talked with the deputy director of the Ramsey County Library System. If you remember a story from earlier this week, the Ramsey County System is forgiving $415,000 in overdue late fees and fines. Whoa. Yes. In a way, as a way to prevent, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to call it discrimination, but let's just say that the majority of people with these late fees and fines are people of color who have trouble paying them and right. who have lost their access to the library system because they haven't paid their fines. So they're forgiving this. And this is kind of a, a trend. The St. Paul Public Library System did this a couple of years ago. Hennepin County has done the same thing. Hmm. So they're kind of wiping the slate clean for all of these people with overdue fines and fees to say, come on back to the library. We want you here. We want you to be able to check out our books or do whatever you need to do, and, and you're important to us. So that was a nice little interesting conversation with Pang Yang. Um, also on the show, Sharon Jackson, the food writer from the Star Tribune, always has great ideas for new things to try. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're in fish fry season. Everybody's talking about the latest fish fry and where to go and what's the best fish fry and fish sandwich. She found a fish sandwich in the North Loop Gallery Food Hall, which is called the McMahi, that is a wonderful Hawaiian-themed fish sandwich. Oh, Yep, at a place called Ono, O-N-O. So that's one that I need to try. And where is that again? That is in, it's called the North Loop uh, Gallery Food Hall on Washington Avenue North. Wow. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I know. That's a good one to try. We tried, my, my husband and I tried a few fish fries last year when all of the fish fry recommendations were coming out. And there's some, there's some good ones around town. I don't think you can really go wrong with a fish fry, yeah. but this sandwich sounds magnificent. Back to the whole overdue book thing. Yes. I think part of the problem may be, too, that people just forget that yeah. they, they have a book somewhere in their house. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I do that all the time. My wife, I mean, I had a great library full of books, and my wife said, no more. It's like yeah. an addiction, you know. I, right. I buy them. I want to keep them. She goes, there's this amazing invention called the Kindle. But it's just not It's not the, the same. same as a real book. You know what I do? We have a whole bunch of those little free libraries around our yes. neighborhood. And I have kind of made a deal with myself that I'm only going to pick books out of these little free libraries. And then when I'm done with them, I'll put them back for somebody else and I'll pick a new one. So I always have a book going that has come from one of these little cute little sheds in my neighbor's yards. Very cool. Neighborhood. Yeah. That's Fun. a great idea. Laura, thank you. We'll You're be welcome. listening. Thank you. Laura's Good News, out on your favorite podcast right this moment, or you can tune in 6.30 Sunday morning for Laura's Good News. Uh, my hockey hair is looking worse than, than ever because something happened this past winter that hasn't happened in 49 years statewide. Kenny Blumenfeld from the Minnesota DNR will explain next. Let it, let it out. Go ahead and shout. Should have a primal scream hour here at CCO. We just take turns yelling into the void. Uh, there's plenty to complain about. And, and look, we didn't have an easy winter. It was a La Nina winter. Cool phase 
in the Pacific, cooler equatorial ocean water in the Pacific, which tends to correlate with chillier winters here. And the Weather Service predicted that months ago. Colder than average, snow could go either way. But uh, that forecast actually turned out to be okay. And, yeah, it was the coldest winter in eight years. But there were some things about last winter that I wanted to share with you that Kenny Blumenfeld, Professor Kenny Blumenfeld, uh, Senior Climatologist, Minnesota Department of Natural Resources and the State Climatology Office. That's a big title. Hey, Kenny, welcome back. Well, we we just inflate our titles here, you know, but uh, good to be back, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. You had, we always have great insight into the winter, and it, my perception was it, it was a breezy and unusually windy winter, but you apparently did some research and made a surprising discovery, right? Yeah, well, we were starting to hear this, and it's been one of these hard questions to answer for a long time. People are, oh, is it getting windier? Is it really windy? And, you know, you, you know from being in the business, that perception is, is it can be really difficult because yeah. it always seems like something is worse or more common now. But when we looked at it, we just started, you know, cutting through the data. And first of all, we found, you know, this winter, we had a 60-mile-an-hour wind gust during February at the Twin Cities Airport. And that yep. was a first. Yep. And we've had since December a number of, I think, three or four different 50-mile-an-hour wind gusts. And then we had uh, over, I think, a dozen or so 40-mile-an-hour wind gusts. And we were up, <laughs> when you count all of the days with 30-mile-an-hour wind gusts, it's almost half the winter. Wow. Yeah, I think, I think it's 46. 46. So it's half, half the winter. So basically every other day we're seeing a wind gust of 30 miles an hour or greater. And this isn't just in the Twin Cities. This was pretty much across the state. And it's even gustier out in western Minnesota. And then when we look backwards, we just don't see any winter that, that matches this at all. And we can go back about 50 years with reasonable confidence. And we just don't see anything even close. The, the closest year was a few years earlier, 2019, where we had 32 of those days, which is a lot, a lot of 30-mile-an-hour winds, but we hadn't seen, you know, basically every other day. That's, cr- that's crazy. So the gustiest winter in 49 years since records were started, what, back yeah. in the what early 70s? When, when right. Do, okay. Yeah, we could go back. We could go back farther, but the anemometer, the the wind measurement mm-hmm. sensor, was at all kinds of different heights and in different places, and it's, and we just don't have a reliable record. But going back to '73, it's been in pretty much the same general location, and, and maybe not always at the exact same height, but close enough. Uh, and yeah, we just don't see anything like it. Wow. Um, yeah, real windy. And March it, it continues. I think we've had already eight days with thirty mile an hour wind gusts this March too. So it's just a windy old time. Kenny, you you had me at anemometer, and and you said it correctly too. I'm I'm impressed. You, you should well, say it correctly. <laughs> hey, and and those temperature uh, the winds. Are, are basically a reflection of the temperature gradient, the ups and downs. The, the faster the temperatures change, the stronger the winds have to blow. So it, it really was a reflection of this parade, nonstop parade of crazy clippers. And the roller coaster effect, I don't know if there's a term for this, but the ups and downs temperature-wise, that was also unusual this winter, right? 
Yeah, it was. It, it not quite as outstanding as the gusty winds, but we are we find kind of a top five winter uh, going back even farther. We can push that back into the 30s in the Twin Cities. Basically, a top five winter for the the amount of change that we had from day to day. Uh, and, you know, just the there's a lot of different ways you could look at it. How much did the temperature go up or down from one day to the next, or what was the total temperature change, you know, going from low to high or from high to low from one day to the next? This was one of the tops, and January in particular was quite changeable. That was actually kind of a record month for us for how changeable it was. It was truly a roller coaster, lots of, you know, warm and then cold and then warm again, and then you'd fall off the cliff. And you're right about that. That's uh, that, Those changes always come on the winds. And so uh, we've got the winds and the temperature changes at the same time. And not to be forgotten, when you have all that wind, you know, out in western Minnesota, that means whiteouts. Yeah. So this was oh, yeah. a winter of whiteouts in the Red River Valley. They had a record number of blizzard warnings in that region. Talk a little bit about snow in March. When I got here in 83, March was the, I think it was the snowiest month of the year. The latest 30-year averages, I think March is, what, fourth snowiest? We still get snow, but it seems to melt faster. It doesn't seem like snow in March is as big a deal now as it was 30, 40 years ago. Am I, am I right about that or not? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think lots of kids learned, you know, when I was growing up in the 80s, uh, we, we all learned that... Uh, March was the snowiest month, and it was. Uh, it, it, and, it, and it was only getting snowier at the time. But since then, it's really slid. And it's now, you're right, the fourth snowiest month on average across the state. Some areas, um, you know, it's number three still. But for the most part, it's number four. And it's been replaced by February, which used to be right at the bottom of all the main kind of winter months. February was always the one that you couldn't count on for anything exciting, and now it's really started turning out winter storms in recent years and big snowfall events, and March has kind of slid into, you know, it's probably because we're losing some of that uh, some of that snowfall to rain as, as the winter temperatures increase, uh, right. more, more rainy days in March, but, the, but before you jump to that, you know, cling on to that conclusion, you still got April which has also emerged as a much snowier month in, in recent decades. God help me, yeah. What was it, 2018, when we had these two blockbuster snowstorms back-to-back in mid-March? Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. That was nuts. So yeah. uh, time for two quick questions. One, the drought. It seems like Noah is predicting some recovery from the drought, continued improvement for most of Minnesota and Wisconsin, but just to our west, really the western half of America, the drought is forecast to persist. What What do you tell people when they ask you about what What can we expect for farming, for water in our lakes? Uh, what What's your spidey sense, Kenny? Yeah, I thanks. I good observation. I tell people right now. Uh, we're probably we shouldn't be too comfortable. Certainly, don't crack open the champagne bottles just yet. It is uh, we did make huge recoveries in the fall, and so there's no technical drought in the western half or so of Minnesota. That's great. Technically, there's no drought, but we do we are surrounded by drought in other areas. If you zoom out from Minnesota, basically the entire western half of the country, west of the Mississippi River, is in some kind of drought already, and the. Predictions for the next couple months look pretty good from NOAA. At least they don't have any kind of dire, uh, you know, drying out. But if you look at, they just released yesterday their longer range forecasts. And if you look at what they have for 
June, July, and August, they actually have us with a greater than normal likelihood of being warm and a greater than normal likelihood of being dry. And that doesn't bode well. So I guess what I've been telling folks, especially the farmers, is just hope, you know, <laughs> we need rain for the next, you know, we need to be average to slightly above average for the early growing season, and hopefully it's kind of distributed well and not all coming at once. You know, uh, early growing season, getting that half inch to an inch every, uh, every week or so is kind of a nice diet from April into June. And if we can do that, that would, that would give us some resilience against, uh, you know, if, if dry conditions do emerge again later in the summer. And the other thing, by the way, um, Kenny Blumenfeld, senior climatologist for the state of Minnesota, joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. The other thing that goes through my mind, even if we don't have a drought, and, and we have decent weather, adequate precipitation this summer, if the West is in severe extreme drought and parts of the West are on fire perpetually, which it seems like that's more and more of a deal every summer, that that smoke drifts over Minnesota. So part of me wonders, you know, are we going to have another summer with air quality issues because there's drought just to our west? I guess there's no way to answer that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right, though. We're really hoping that the, the west doesn't just burst into flames again because that, that wasn't good for us. And right now that writing isn't necessarily on the wall just yet. I mean, they got... Decent precipitation over the winter. They brought themselves down, in many cases, one to three drought categories. So we're in a better situation than we were last spring. But, yeah, I mean, we're moving into their dry season. It's always odd. Our wet season is their dry season. Right. And so we're, we do have to watch out. And, and, you know, we're lucky because all we need is that southerly wind, and we get the air coming off of the Gulf of Mexico, and we can get we can get watered pretty good when that happens. But out west, they really are far from those moisture sources. Yep. They, they, they need it in the winter time. Absolutely. Speaking of water, uh, the potential for river flooding it seems to be pretty low. I mean, this is kind of a a perfect situation. Gradual melting of the snowpack we had. Uh, the ground is still frozen. If we were to get heavy rain in the next couple of weeks, that could change the equation. Red River Valley still a potential for major flooding. But, you know, for most of the Minnesota River, uh, the Mississippi here, you know, most of central and southern Minnesota, looks like we might be okay this spring, right? That, that's what we're hearing from all the, the kind of predictive hydrologists out at the Weather Service and, and in other areas that for the most part, it's, it's, we're in pretty good shape, or at least normal shape. The flooding that we do expect in the Red River Valley is not unusual, right? And you always have to remember, that's an area that floods easily, and they've been through a lot, and they've built up a lot to kind of protect themselves. And they're not looking at anything cataclysmic, barring, as you mentioned, you know, a real big soaker in the next few weeks that, that kind of adds some, some insult to injury. But, yeah, what we're hearing mostly is that it's, we're, you know, Everything's been pretty average hydrologically through the winter. Uh, the one area where I'd say there's actually an exception is southwest Minnesota, where they, they've really been kind of snow-starved for the last six weeks, and they don't have much. So we're watching them. And then some of our neighbors off to the southeast, it's just a whole other world. If you go into Wisconsin and especially Illinois and eastern Iowa, they're, they're running 200%, 300% precipitation surpluses in that wow. area. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. 
All right. Kenny Blumenfeld, Professor Kenny Blumenfeld, Senior Climatologist for the State of Minnesota. Thank you for your perspective and keep us posted. Gustiest winter in 49 years. You heard it first right here on CCO. Thank you, Kenny. Good talking with you, Paul. Thank good, you. Good talking with you. And now we need to talk about weird news, and we're going to have a little competition. We need a, uh, a judge. Give us a call if you'd like to judge the weird news. Please, 651-461-9226. 651-461-9226. Call and uh, bother DJ right now, and you can be a judge on CCO. We'll be right back. Oh, my. Oh, my. It's time for weird news. And Jim in Minneapolis is our special guest judge. What a great honor. Hey, Jim. It is indeed. All rise. <laughs> I'm bowing in your general direction, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> All right. You know how it works. Just uh, we're going to three stories and you pick me. Uh, that that's how it works and you know, you pick the best story. I'm not sure I've got the best story today, but we we appreciate you coming along for the ride. Oh, it's always fun. All right. Um DJ, why don't you go first this uh, time? Yeah, sure. I'm going to tell you a story uh, from Johnsonburg, Pennsylvania, where there's a disturbing Wait, case. Johnsonburg? Johnson, John, Johnsonburg. I, I, just, I don't make up the names of the town. Do you know where that is? It's in your state, Pennsylvania. Why is it? That's not what we're talking about here, okay? I'm sorry that you're still in the sixth grade, but I'm going to move on to my story. Okay. Wow. Wow. Okay, you really, can just stop. Really, just Paul? stop talking. Really? In uh, Johnsonville, Pennsylvania. Well, it is. I'm changing it because you're being inappropriate. It's the Johnson part. (laughs) (laughs) Not the Ville or the Berg. A disturbing case of of deer jumping to their... (sighs) (laughs) You guys want to go first? No. Go ahead, Mr. Johnson. Oh, my gosh. We're off the rails already. Uh, in this town, in this unnameable town in Pennsylvania, deer are jumping to their death. Yes, there is a spot on the overpass of US 119 where apparently deer come out of the woods and then take a wrong turn and get spooked and leap to their death off the overpass. Oh. Over 25 deer have recently met their demise this way. Residents are trying to figure out what to do. They're calling PennDOT, which I guess is what you call it there, Department of Transportation. Yeah. They're getting cooperation from the Game Commission, who's very being very cooperative as they try to figure out how to stop these deer from jumping off the overpass as the bodies continue to build up. They're trying to get a diversion fence or maybe use some of the netting that they would normally use to stop uh, debris and snow from going over the overpass into yeah. populated areas. Um Residents are very hopeful that they'll find a fix for this problem. But for now, three months after Christmas, it continues to rain deer. To ah. rain deer in okay. Johnsonburg, Pennsylvania. Okay. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> Can I be done now? <laughs> J- JP? <laughs> J- JP, go. If it was, are you ready? Yeah. If it wasn't for bad clock... A flock of escaped chickens that wandered through busy roads ended up riding shotgun through a Dunkin' Donuts drive-through window in an animal control officer service vehicle. 
Animal Control Officer Jessica Jackson of Casco, Naples, Raymond Harrison Regional Animal Control Department said she was called out Wednesday on a report of a flock of loose chickens wandering through traffic on routes 302 and 11 in Naples. Jackson said the chickens ended up gathering on a parked oil truck at the Dodge Oil Company located at the corner of the intersection. The officer said she was unable to identify the owner of the chickens, so she was left with the task of transporting them to a foster farm, foster farm for safekeeping. I tried to get them into the, do- the dog kennels I carry, but I did not have enough kennels for the amount of chickens. My capture net was broken because it had been chewed through by a rat, so I couldn't use that. Jackson used dog kibble to lure the chickens into the back seat of her car and realized too late that the sliding door operating the back seat from the front was open. Jackson said she attempted to shoo the birds from the front seat to the back seat, but the chickens became agitated and started pooping. For the sake of my cruiser, I decided to let them ride shotgun, Jackson said. We took a side trip through Dunkin' Donuts for donut crumbs and a coffee and then headed off to the farm. Animal Control Department did share a video to Facebook showing the chickens accompanying Jackson in the front seat of her vehicle. Oh, oh my. Okay. If it wasn't for dumb cluck. Okay. That's clever. Bad cluck. But that's okay. Bad cluck? I thought, I thought it was dumb cluck. Is it dumb cluck? Got to be very careful here. All right. So here's mine, Jim. You. <laughs> this is not going, Paul, as well as it did in rehearsal. <laughs> uh, I'd like to get off this airplane, please. Dozens of JetBlue passengers spent about an hour sitting on an idle plane on the tarmac at Worcester, Massachusetts Airport Monday night after staff left for the night without letting them off the plane. Oof. Apparently, a JetBlue crew member trained on safely operating the jet bridge. God, I've always wanted to try that with that that joystick. You know what I'm talking about, the joystick? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when, yeah. You, when you get onto the plane, you see that joystick? Yeah. I want to try that. Anyway, um, a JetBlue crew member who was trained to operate the jet bridge got sick and left, went home before allowing people on the plane to disembark. At one point, the pilot said, I have something embarrassing to tell you guys. There is nobody to get you off the flight. The state police were called, and they were going to have to evacuate the passengers. But at the last moment, they did reach a JetBlue manager uh, who had to drive from his home to the airport to let the people off the airplane. Now, the airline is blaming weather, staffing, Communications problems, El Nino. Yeah, it's a long list. Um, so anyway, so let's go around the horn one more time. Uh, DJ. Uh, that's a different kind of reindeer. JP? If it wasn't for bad clock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and mine is, I'd like to get off this airplane, please. So, Jim, I, I apologize for our image, my immaturity. Um of those three, which which is the weirdest? Well, I, I listen to you guys, and, and it's because of your uh, your youthful attitudes. Um, I would have to say, having been a customer of JetBlue a number of times, I think that's probably, that sounds like it's uh, par for the course. Oh, really? So you, had, you didn't have some great experiences? Well, then it's not a very weird story. It's just normal. It's a normal story, then, is what you're saying. Oh, are you... Uh, are you adjudicating this now? You're uh... 
well? Isn't that my job? No, no, it's yeah, not. I'm yeah, talking to DJ. DJ sounds bitter because are, are you picking my story, Jim? <laughs> yes, I am. God, yep. God bless you. Well, you just said it was a normal thing. <laughs> I just, we've all been there sitting on a plane. Can you imagine having to call out the state police to get, I don't know how they get the people off, even with the state police. Uh, Jim in Minneapolis, thank you for listening, and uh, have a great spring and a wonderful weekend. Hey, thanks a lot, you guys. You have a wonderful one as well. Thank you, Jim. Kind of bitter, aren't you? Thank you, JP. Yeah, I should have (laughs) won. We're all bitter. God, (laughs) it's a game. It's not like your brackets. Oh, you say that now because you won. Yeah, well, that's right. That's, that's right. It's just a Mr. game. Johnson. Don't take it so seriously. Johnsonburg. Johnsonville. Who names these towns? Really? Ah, uh, all right. When we come back, the one and only Mike Max. Maxi Sports brought to you by the John Schuster Group, Caldwell Banker Real Estate. When people say, Paul, why, why isn't your forecast better? I I usually I don't get mad anymore. I try not to get defensive. I ask how their brackets are going. Yeah, predicting yeah, take that right. Predicting the yeah. future is hard. And and Maxie, I picked Gonzaga to go all the way, but I my final four was Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, and Auburn. And already I'm losing. I, yeah. I St. Peter's, St. Peter's man. Yeah. What you should have asked me before you. Phillips bracket. I should have. Did you pick St. Peter's? Yes. If you'd have seen them at the end of the year, uh, particularly the way they shot the ball in the second halves of games, you'd have picked them too. Really? Mm-hmm. All right. I'm impressed. And New Mexico State over. I'm just over making you. that up. You're, 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 you're dark. <laughs> you didn't pick St. Peter's. <laughs> no, I didn't. Pick Where is it? I think they're in New Jersey, right? Yeah. Uh, Philly. Uh, yeah, is it New Jersey or yeah, um, St. Peter's? There's a guy by the name of Bobby Jones, coach with Clem Haskins. He left Haskins staff to coach St. Peter's many years ago, and that was as close as I came to knowing much about that school. So. <laughs> UConn lost. The Hawkeyes yeah, lost. State. Yeah, uh, Iowa lost to Richmond, and of course they had become a chic pick for many because they had uh, won the Big Ten tournament. And so you know you're coming off that kind of momentum, and and people go, hey, they must be on a roll, and they weren't. Uh, Purdue won handily today, no surprise. But I think Purdue is built for a long run because they got they really got everything there. Matt Painter's built that team. I mean, he's got size, he's got shooters, they can get up and down the floor. They don't always do it in one game. Uh, but, you know, in theory, on paper, he's got everything you need. Marcus Carr, the former gopher, just hit a uh, midcourt shot to close out the half. He's playing for Texas. And they're playing, uh, they're up by two, I think it is, on Virginia hmm. Tech. But uh, you forget that Marcus Carr was a the, the, the whole team almost last year at times. And, and, and he's still playing. You just lose track of him, but he's playing for Texas now. Yeah. Hey, talk about Devontae Adams. Uh, Packers trading Devontae yeah. to the Raiders. I guess Rodgers can't be too thrilled about that, but if, if Rodgers got his big payday, do you think he's uh, – does, does it matter? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if they did a deal where they said, hey, Aaron, uh, you signed this deal. That we're going to franchise uh, Devontae, which in, you know they did, but Devontae didn't want to be franchised, and so they, he forced him to trade him to, to the Raiders because he wanted a bigger deal, and he got it. <coughs> 
excuse me, I don't know if um, if that would be the kind of thing that would be a burr in, in Roger's saddle because, you know, conventional wisdom was he's coming back and he's going to have Adams to, yeah. to throw to, and obviously he doesn't now, and he's got Lazard and, uh, you know, a couple guys that can catch the ball but not like Adams. Uh, I can't imagine they'd pull the rug from under his feet. You would think that they'd be transparent and say, this is what we're trying to get done. Uh, we can't guarantee it before he signed his deal. But, uh, yeah, he ends up with the Raiders, and that's big. <laughs> What's that line from Animal House? Hey, you uh, messed up. You trusted us. You messed up. You trusted us. Yes. Or something like that. Maxie, yeah. have a great weekend, you my too. friend. Thanks, Paul. We'll be right back. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.